Thank you, Ray and Sid. Um, I'm going to be reading from Matthew chapter 16. It's not on the screen. Chapter uh, 16 of Matthew, verse 15 is where I'm starting. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Church, you. I think I've said from this very place before that I have been going to church all of my life. My dad was a preacher. Even when he was a dean of a school, he preached I've been to every gospel meeting in southwest Mississippi and south Louisiana. I've said to you before that I've eaten hundreds of casseroles. I've gone on dinner to dinners on the ground, tent gospel meetings. I've loaded on bus, rickety bus, vans, in my parents' car, rushing after my dad would get home from work to get to some little small town that probably was built, a small little church, probably built next to a cemetery and still using an outhouse for the restroom. I've gone to singings, every youth event, funerals, weddings. I've cleaned baptistries from mildew. My dad often would be the person who turned the lights on and unlocked the doors and turned the lights off and locked the doors. And then even after he got home, into the evening, he would feel compelled to go back to the building to check the doors and lights one more time to make sure they were locked and off. I've done all of it. Sunday morning, Wednesday night. Wednesdays were hard for me. We would come home from school, um, only get probably one episode of Gomer Pyle or Beverly Hillbillies in before my parents would get there and we'd have to pack up pretty quick because we were at church early. My mom taught Sunday class, Sunday school, Wednesday class, Wednesday Bible class. And so we would be there early. There probably was any setting up, we were doing it. Um, small town church, small town preacher. The preacher and his family pretty much does it all. We were there. And then we were there because it started at 7, so we were there early, probably about 5.30. We would be there till. well, we were the last to leave. Because my dad was going to visit with every person. He wasn't going to leave before anybody, he was going to be the last one. We'd be pulling out of that parking lot 9 o'clock at night, get home, still have homework to do, go to bed. It was a busy day. There were times I didn't like Wednesdays. They were tough and hard and long. When I was young, I would think sometimes even on Sundays, I'd go, man, I'd, on Sunday night, you know, we went Sunday morning and Sunday night. And if there was a gospel meeting, we were again going because they did a Sunday afternoon thing. And if there was a visiting preacher, we had to have him over to eat at our house. And they, my parents would stay up talking forever. Then, he, you know, after Sunday night, always we had people, they'd come over for coffee and dessert. And the kids would run and play hide-go-seek in the yard. Some of those days I just wanted to go, hey, can we just relax and not go? 
As I got older, and I'm not talking about how old I am now, but even just a little bit older as I aged, as I aged and I got more years, more years passed by, I came to realize and recognize that, you know, there were going to be a lot of times when I went on Wednesday and Sunday and I wasn't necessarily fulfilled or I felt like I had some revelation that I'd never heard before. I really went, really went because of you. And I'll tell you, I largely still come. Yes, I work here. I get that. But before then, I came because of you. You're the church. You're the body. And I needed you. And I knew that church on Wednesday or Sunday here when we meet collectively was a chance for me to meet you and be in your presence in our collectively, our body meeting in God's presence. I needed to be reminded of all the demands that Jesus makes on his people. And he does make demands. I needed to learn from you, from people who are older from me. Think about it a second. Where else do you meet? Where you've got, does your office have this diversity we have? We have 20s, teens, generally speaking. Brian Hannah, I know you're sitting over there, but I mean, you know. You have old people, senior citizens, married couples. You have rich, you have poor, you have blue collar, white collar. Brian, College Station, outer areas. Where else do you have this diversity? Where else can I meet all of these different people? Different from me, but yet still choosing to follow Jesus. That's the church. That's you. That's what I needed, and that's what I need. I needed to be able to come and profess my faith, weak as it is sometimes, with other believers in a local body of imperfect people like you and like me. That's why church was important to me. That's why church is important to me now. In the New Testament, there are 30 different churches, groups mentioned. There are also three regions of churches that are not named. And that doesn't even take into account the early Christians in Acts 8 who were dispersed after the stoning of Stephen, who were meeting in little pockets, who knows where, in caves and secret places, in shutted, you know, little basements or whatever, attics, who knows. Still worshiping. This church, this body, a long heritage and history of people meeting together like you and like me. And I need you. I'm going to read a couple of passages, one from Romans and one from 1 Corinthians, that talks about the body and our parts and how we work together and how important we are as we function together. I'm going to be reading from the screen. Um, Romans 12 is first and then 1 Corinthians passage. But just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts 
according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. 1 Corinthians. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. We were all given the one spirit to drink, even so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts, you, in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker, indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. And ending with a spectacular sentence, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. I wrote this list. It's not all-encompassing, but I want to read it to you. People who stack chairs... People who put out the communion. You people who teach. You people who mow. You people who donate suitcases when we ask for them. Who help with showers. Who wash the baptistry clothes. Who fix the coffee. Who pull the weeds. Who vacuum these floors. Who put the chairs out. Who makes sure the sound works? We all have our gifts. You might be fooled into thinking that because I or someone else is standing up here that we're the most important part, but you'd be way wrong. My opinion, and I'm saying this is my opinion, is that largely our greatest blessings in this body, in the way we all function, in the way we fit together well, is more a product of what happens out there than what happens right here. It would be wrong to think that I, because I'm speaking, have more impact than the person who puts down or stacks the chairs. You'd be way wrong. In fact, a lot of the things that make us as a body feel good, those feelings that we have of warmth and kindness and good, happen not because of what I or someone else says from this pulpit. It happens from what you say together out there in the foyer. 
or after class or in the welcome center or by the coffee pot. So don't ever think your role is minor. But get you a role. You have a role. Engage with your role. Because I depend on it. And you depend on it. We don't function well without all of us playing our part. I think the roles we tend to think are the most minor. First of all, that's a wrong way of thinking. But they're the most indispensable. Find your role. Get it. Pull the weeds. Stack the chairs. Teach the class. Man the prayer room. Mow the lawn. Find your role. I'm going to read a verse that when I... St- I'm going to tell you I'm reading verses, a verse from Hebrews chapter 10 and 23 through 25. And some of you who've tended church all of your life probably know where I'm going. Let's read it and let's see what it's saying. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For, we who promised, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds... Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. First of all, it doesn't say Sunday morning or Wednesday night specifically. It does talk about meeting together. But when I used to hear the verse when I was younger, I was beat upside the head with the verse. You better go to church. Bam. Why aren't you at church? Bam. You know, Wednesday night counts too. Boom. That's how it was used. But let's look at more of the words, better words, or just as good words. Hope that we, we talk about hope a lot here. Hope, spur on toward loving good works and encouraging. You know who needs spurring? You know who's got the job of spurring? You know who else you needs encouraging? You do. You could raise your hand. You know who's got the job of encouraging? I do. Yes, we need to be here. But our meetings together are more than just here. Have you ever been to Roses after second service? I mean, we're just moving down there. Coffee shops, having somebody in your home, meeting you at HEB, run across you at the post office. We all can encourage. We can all spur on to love and good deeds. I need it. The sort of chance meetings and the official meetings. Because I need it and you need it. I watched you come in, sort of, and then I'd gaze when I was here. And I'm going to talk a second about some of you specifically. And you have no clue that I'm going to do this. So if you hear your name, I'm not going to say anything bad. You can let the heart settle. Pam Mann 
I think, did cradle roll for all of our kids. Charlie Anderson delivered all three of our children. The other day, I was at Lowe's, and I ran into Kevin Scowl. I don't know if he's here today. But I was in the plant section. My opinion is if you're in the plant section of any place and you're having a conversation, Kevin Scow is a good place, person to have a conversation with. He knows his plants. We were talking about plants. I didn't know what I... I'm just going to Lowe's trying to fill in what had died in the apocalypse. I'm just picking... I don't know what I'm picking. Kevin makes an offhand statement. Yeah, they got some pretty good salvia over there. I think I'm going to go look at it. You know what I walked out of there with? Some salvia. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. But we had a good conversation. In the early morning service, I mentioned Curtis Garrett, who one time when he was taking one of our kids, maybe Jeb's uh, wisdom teeth out, he spoke to me after when we were putting Jeb in the car when they're supposed to be all sort of goofy, you know, after the goofy gas, and he was speaking to me. and gave me an encouragement after I'd spoken early on here at one of my sermons when I spoke up here. I talk about Jerry Hogan, who when I came here early on, I went to call about all the buses and the vans, and every time I called Jerry, he would tell me what to do, and I didn't know what, you know, all these buses and vans. I mean, he knew that. Kathy Eadson taught our kids. I don't know if she's here. Either. Jason Brinker, I mentioned early class, he comes helps us with the CEO stuff or whatever, the sound stuff, which I, you know I can't deal with. I could look around the room and notice all kinds of people who've encouraged me or who've met some need of mine. You know why? Because I depend on you and you depend on me. In all of our chance meetings, not just the ones that happen here on a Sunday or Wednesday, but at the kettle or at Starbucks or in someone's home or at the doctor's office, you know, you could be really be ministered to in a doctor's office by someone who cares for your body and soul and heart. A professor who will meet afterwards. Someone who will tutor someone who needs help. Or we put something in the, you know, all the stuff we send out, hey, we got this need, and you just meet the need. How helpful is that? We play our roles. We can all encourage and all can spur on. I need it. And you need it. Whether we gather daily or weekly. I tell the students, and I, have, I think I have a sign up there on the AFC that says, you know, take care of each other. That's what I want you to do. I'm just going to tell you straight up. I want you to take care of me. And if I play my part, I'll take care of you. And then we'll work together like the body does. Hands and feet and eyes and ears. I'll show you a picture. So a few days ago, um, we had all of our family and a couple of other visitors at the house, and we were grilling out. I went out and took a picture of this is our grill in the backyard. It's not a great picture. You needed to see the sunlight seeping, seeping in on the right side or left side. Um, and I took this because I'd been thinking about this because I had read a quote that I want to show you on a slide. The soul that is alone is like a burning coal that is alone. It will grow colder 
rather than hotter. You and I, you know what we are? We're coals. You know when you got your grill, you grillers, and you got your pile of coals up there? You put the lighter fluid on, or if it's just a match light, you get the flames going. But you got this, you, you, you pour the coals in there from the bag of charcoal. There's one little lone coal over here. It's not going to stay warm very long. What do you do? Take your tongs or your little whatever pointy thing and you brush it back over, don't you? Into the pile. That's what I want you to do to me. Because out, the, out there on the side of the grill, I'm not going to operate very good. I'm not going to stay warm very long. I'm going to need you to take your tongs and brush me over to the pile. Where together we stay warm. And together we can be a fire. Otherwise I'm going to be out there and I'm just going to get colder and colder and colder. Another quote. The Christian faith should come with a warning label. Do not attempt to practice alone. Because I need you and you need me. And I need you to take care of me and you need me to take care of you. And I want to be where the warmth is. And that's when all of us are all together warmed. I like being warm. Recently we took our graduate students um, who are graduating on a retreat, the class of 2021. And what we do that for is mostly just, mostly a lot of it's fun, honestly, but we try to talk about the transition from college to after college. So the transition from being a senior in high school to a freshman year, I think is a difficult transition. I think an equally difficult transition, but one that we haven't given a lot of attention to, or I haven't, early on in my tenure here, was the people who are graduating who are going to what's after school. That transition's difficult, too. And so we Zoomed in some people, and we've done this before, but we Zoomed in some who've already graduated. And so I asked them, or Hayden asked them questions. We had a single lady who we Zoomed in who graduated last year, and we had a married couple who graduated probably in 15, 16, or something like that. So we had a series of questions, and all the grad people graduating are gathered around. We're in this house down on the beach. The last question that I asked, or the last question on the list, and I think it was the last one we asked. We didn't go in order, but it doesn't matter. I said, we all know people that um, graduated and things have not gone well with them. They're no longer really faithful. They're not really on the right path. We know they're struggling in their relationship with God. Um, why do you, do you, as you reflect on your peers who have found themselves in that state, what has contributed to that? Now, before I go further, I want to tell you that I'm not simple-minded. I get the complexity of life. I know how things can, little trickles and streams can make a river and how we are impacted by all manner of things 
there's a lot of contributing factors that lead us in one direction or another or make us find wherever we are at. I mean, where we are right now is really a factor of a lot of things is what I'm trying to say. But what came to bear in those conversations was, you know, one of the things that really happened was they went somewhere and they did, they stopped going to church. Now, going to church is not the end-all, be-all. You're going to leave unfulfilled. But the body is where the warmth is. And when you get out there all on your own, separated from the pack or separated from the fire, you know what? You're going to get colder. There are a lot of things that contributed to people that we know that no longer find themselves on a path towards Jesus or pursuing Jesus. But one of the factors is they stop meeting together. That's just a fact. Yes, you can come here and really not be pursuing Jesus. And you can stop, you can meet together and not really be having the right intentions. But I don't think you can really be pursuing Jesus without meeting together. You know why? It's because you're going to be a coal out there by yourself and you're going to get cold. And here, you're my warmth. And I need you. And you need me. So, yes, I want you to be meeting. I tell the students back um, also back a semester or so ago and I just salt and pepper them with things I say over and over again they probably it's probably redundant but I do harp on certain things over and over again because I think they matter so when our students find themselves at a certain point and some of them will sadly when it's late at night and they're awake and the room is dark and they're staring up and they're watching their ceiling fan going on around 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 and they might think to themselves you know how did I get this far away from God? When that happens, I want them to find their way back. So I tell the students, you know how you're going up a mountain, you who've climbed mountains, and the trail is not very visible, and you have these markers, and you're going from marker to marker to marker to find your way? When you find yourself away or off the path, you look for the marker, there could be a lot of markers, but you know the number one marker, and I think the first marker is, is you find church. You find the body. That's your way back. That's your way back. Because that's where the warmth is. And that's where people take care of each other. You're looking after me. And I'm looking after you. So I want you to keep meeting. I want you to meet at Rose's, the post office, at Starbucks, in your home. I want you to meet here. I want to meet you in your home. To keep on. Because we come here to remember the demands that Jesus makes upon us. And also get reminded by you, all you diverse and perfect people. Where life is, 
true life. Otherwise, I can get separated and think I can go on my own. And sooner rather than later, I'll find myself dead. Not putting off any warmth at all. So I want you to keep meeting. And I want you to keep meeting. I want to keep meeting. I'll probably be, in fact, I'll most definitively will be at Rose's in about an hour. <laughs> you can find me um, looking for whatever my number is on that big board. <laughs> but I want you and me to keep doing and taking care of each other. To keep meeting together and talking about Jesus in our homes, in our churches, in our restaurants. I want you to do it for your sake. I want you to do it for my sake. And I want you to do it for the sake of the body. Will you pray with me, please? So, Father, we give you our honor, all the honor and glory and praise we can muster with our feeble mouths and words. We thank you for the church that's meeting all over the world. Public places, big mega churches, and private places, and just single couples and couple people together in some private hidden room, but yet still praising you. May our hearts grow warm and get the warmth from being together. Help us see the need to spur and to encourage. May we be found faithful, found faithful when you come and return. And may that return be ever so soon. In Jesus' name, amen.